Welcome to this week's episode of the Refold Roundtable podcast, a podcast where we talk about all things language learning. And this week, we're talking about all things pitch, and intonation, and pronunciation. Uh, I am Gork. I am a, the community manager for Refold, and I like languages. And today we have uh, Bree, uh, Keji, and Vanessa. And Bree, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Bree. I also like languages, but I am only learning Spanish, and I am the social media person for Refold. Social media mage. Social media mage, social media apprentice, social media wizard, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, mage is good. I think that's my official job title. <laughs> and Vanessa? Yeah, I'm uh, Vanessa, also known as Shiki on the... Uh in the uh, Refold network. I am a Japanese learner, and I am a language coach for Refold. And finally, we have our special guest for today, Kechi. Hey, I'm Kechi, or Kezi, a uh, long-time Japanese learner. I've been in Refold since its uh, inception, and yeah, um, like learning mostly Japanese, but uh, sometimes I learn other languages as well, too, or try. <laughs> All right, and you are a longtime Japanese learner, right? It's been like what seven years? Uh, five, five, but it's been um pretty on and off, and I'd say for most recently, I have there's not been that much learning going on, but I, I still enjoy the language though. For sure, I think that happens when you get uh kind of like solidly good at the language. It sort of just becomes something you do rather than something you study. And yeah. you are well known, Kechi, in the community. And that's how we read it, right? We read it with a j, not a z. Oh, yeah, that's completely fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I go by either you... or Kechi or Kechi. Okay. Because Kechi is kind of like the, the English way. And I guess Kechi is the, the Japanese way of, of pronouncing that romanization. Uh, yeah. And you're well known in the refold community, the language learning community at large for one of your projects. Uh, so you've got like Kotsu.io, which is like a website that has like pitch accent trainer, has some sort of like parser maybe, um, where like it yeah. parse something and give you like pitch, like while you're reading, kind of like a visual, like if you put a paragraph in, you can look at the pitch of each word. Um, you also have a, a bot for Discord that is quite popular. People ping it and then it gives you the pitch of a word. And you've got like a pitch accent trainer, and then you've even got some stuff from Mandarin. I think you've got like a tone trainer on Kotsu.io. Yeah. Uh, uh, the caveat that the tone trainer is definitely not perfect has several bugs still, but yeah, I, I just like making tools for language learning and things that are helpful to people. So. And Kotsu.io is like all that stuff is like free and open source, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to have you on, Geji, because actually we have been using, and Vanessa knows, uh, we've been using Kotsu.io as part of our coaching process for helping clients, people who come to us for help at Refold, uh, learn tone distinctions. Um, and it's not a, a, you know, a lot of work. We just tell them, you know, 10 minutes a day when you're doing your Anki, go and do 10 minutes of pitch accent training with your tool. And uh, we've had a lot of success with it. It usually takes a month or two, but after a month or two of people just doing five or 10 minutes a day of uh, pitch accent training on Kotsu.io, in addition to all their other stuff, their intensive listening, their immersion, they actually seem to improve. 
Oh, it sounds great. Yeah, I'm glad it's helpful. Um, definitely didn't start out with the tests. It, it was more of a way to, um, uh, I was helping out a YouTuber, uh, goes by the name of Yudai, um, who many of you might know. Yudai Sensei. But, I'm, I'm familiar with yeah. him. Yeah. He, yeah, I was he's helping. A, uh, oh, yeah. He's a, little, he's, he's a YouTuber, a Japanese YouTuber, who's also uh, is very proud of his English ability and his Mandarin Chinese ability, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and he does a lot of pitch accent uh focused videos. And he uh at the time I think I was creating um a so we, we actually had a um a way to transcribe subtitles uh using sort of like a collaboration like software and that was what Koltsu.io was at the time, basically helping Udai write uh subtitles for his videos. Okay, so the inspiration behind Koltsu.io was helping Yudai Sensei, who has a great YouTube channel, and he used to be active mm -hmm. in the Refold community, um, subtitle his videos. Yeah. So what happened? What led to it being this sort of pitch accent master site? <laughs> I think it was um, probably at one point uh, getting bored, having a ton of free time, and I think that was uh, also, it was already a year into COVID, but uh, I think basically I, I got bored at some time and added a bunch of other tools to it. And one of those was uh, the minimal pairs test. And uh, from then, I think we just added a bunch of things to supplement that. And then it became what it is today. Yeah. And would you say that the uh, the pitch accent stuff, the pit, the tone trainer, the minimal pair trainer, uh, do you, would you say that's like overshadowed the original purpose of the website? Um, I think it complemented it. And I think because Kulta.io, the idea behind it was just a hodgepodge of tools. And I think that uh, tests, pitch accent tests are, are one of those tools. Um, I do think that like a lot of times though, people tend to focus on just those tests and not the rest of the site. But there are a lot of like hidden, um, hidden eggs that you can find on Kulta. For example, the Anki, uh, the Anki part of Koltu, it has its own built-in Anki system that's separate, completely separate from Anki, which stole the name. But um, it actually has a newer version of um, Super Memo, Super Memo's algorithm in it, um, which, uh, so the current version So what of Anki version, like... what version, so Anki uses a modified SM2. Which yeah, is SM2. one of the oldest algorithms. Well, what's what's the Kotsudayo Anki clone or Anki? I guess you can't really trademark the name. That just means rote memorization <laughs> in Japanese, right? They could probably, but um, it, it's it uses SM fifteen. Okay, and right now I think SM eighteen is the most recent version, so that's pretty up to date. Yeah, and, and when I say SM fifteen, it's what somebody thinks is SM fifteen, since we don't have access okay, to it, that. I was about to ask because uh, uh, Vosniak he keeps that sort of behind lock and key, and I was going to ask if you talked to him and got permission. So, it's <laughs> what someone has extrapolated to be SM fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, yeah, I think I think Kotsudayo is a very useful tool. I personally, mostly, I'm guilty of focusing only on the pitch accent side of things. 
but apparently it has a nice uh, flashcard system, SRS system. And yeah, that's, that's an amazing tool. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of background info on like how you like learning Japanese? Uh, you said five years. I thought it was seven originally. So like, give us a quick recap. Um, yeah, so uh, it was actually, I, it's closer to six years now, but I started in 2016, um, in the summer of 2016, and I, um, so basically it was just, uh, I wanted to learn a language, and I think I was uh, stuck between Japanese and French. I'd already learned French in high school, so I decided to go with Japanese, and um, my initial language journey was using just looking up random stuff online, finding random sites. I think Rocket Languages was one thing that I like stuck to for a bit, um, which is basically like a a podcast style uh, lesson with um, tools to help you after. Um, and uh, it was pretty much calm from there. I think I used Wani Kani a little bit, and then in when I went to university, I actually decided to um, minor in Japanese initially. Um, and so I went to some of their courses uh, over the summer, and they had a couple accelerated courses, and I basically stuck with those, and um, for, for the most part. And I think one of the things that um, probably separates that experience from any any other experience you might have at like a college Japanese university course is that our university used a book called JSL, uh, which happens to be. Uh, a book yeah, by Eleanor focused. Hartz Jordan. I mention it all yeah. the time on the podcast, Ketchy, because it is one of the few textbooks that's, one, it's old. It's from like the 80s or the 70s. Two, it yeah. teaches pitch accent from the very start. Um, yeah. <laughs> so totally. The, the the frequent listeners are aware, the new listeners, you have learned that Ketchy, the pitch accent uh, guru himself, used uh, JSL. And how was using JSL, by the way? I liked the format. Um, it might have just been a, a me thing, but I think the format definitely felt uh, nice to me, especially the fact that they had um, audio too that you could just I could just listen to and walk around and not pay like much attention to. Um, I don't I don't have to like actually read the book. I think one of the main points of the book is that you don't um, for the conversations you don't actually need to look at them. Um, you just need to use the audio. And that's what the main focus is. So I think a lot of um, controversy uh, is thrown around about the book because it uses domaji in, in all of it, essentially. Um, but the main point of the domaji is that you're supposed to get past it and just look at, you're supposed to listen to the uh, audio, which is why it's Japanese, the spoken language. Um, so yeah. Yeah, JSL stands for Japanese, the spoken language. And it's an older style textbook. Um, it's what we call in SLA circles, uh, audiolingual, aka the army method, aka drill and yeah. kill. Um, so obviously, m instructors use them in different ways. But those sort of textbooks were designed for you to like, listen to the audio, memorize it 100%, and then go do audio drills. And is that how you went through the book? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was doing, when I initially started, it was uh, summer courses, and these summer courses were about like nine hours long of classes, um, 
And so each class had you before the class, you'd memorize uh, the core conversation, as it's called, um, which is usually encompasses a couple conversations between people, usually short utterances. And you go to class with that, and you basically perform after you memorize those. All right. Yeah. And nine hours of class does not sound like a whole lot of time. Uh, lots of breaks in between, though. I think there were like, uh, there's an empty hour in between for. Um, okay, so it's not nine hours the whole like wait, course. It's, it's like not it's nine class like hours, 45. like a nine hour class. So no, like it's, you go it's like in forty five minute classes um, that are gotcha. like spread out over the day. Gotcha. Cool. Well, thank you for your background uh, in Japanese. Um, and yeah, moving back to like pitch, uh, I guess one of the questions that we had for you was like, when did you become like aware of pitch? And it sounds to me like if you started with JSL, Japanese spoken language, you probably already knew about pitch very early on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. JSL was what awoken me to, I, I may have heard of like the term used before, but JSL was the initial time that I had actually thought to invest time in it. Yeah, uh, especially and... it's yeah, it's, it's mention of like pitch accent is it, it's a whole section of JSL. Uh, they dedicate the intro, a large part of the intro, to learning about pitch accent, and every tidbit they add about pitch accent really added to my curiosity for learning more about it. They use kind of an idiosyncratic romanization, right? does cover pitch. Yeah, it's an off... So the, uh, I forget what ski it is. It's like Tokyo ski or, or something like that. Um, so it's not Hepburn at all, but it's, a, uh, it's one that's more commonly used in Japan. Um, but it has a couple modifications to it. Um, the accent marks on top of it being one of those for labeling pitch. So I actually have a question because... I don't have any experience using any uh, textbooks for Japanese aside from uh, Genki. Uh, we all we all know it. We all love it. Uh, <laughs> um, so in Genki, when it comes to uh, pitch accent, um, it's pretty much just mentioned one time at the beginning, and then it's like never talked about again. So I'm wondering um, how that compares to JSL. Like, is it an ongoing theme in the textbook like every chapter they say okay this thing has this pitch accent blah blah blah. like is that how it goes uh yeah yeah for the most part every single word is labeled with pitch on it so you cannot look at anything without seeing the pitch accent attached to it okay that's interesting um i mean i guess the obvious answer to the question would be uh yes but um, that it's helpful, but I'm wondering like how, how helpful it was because, um, if you went through it and then by the time you finished the textbook, like how did you feel about pitch accent? Did you feel prepared? Like you understood it? And like, I'm wondering how that, um, led into what you did from there after you finished the textbook. Yeah. So actually, I was, at the time, very confused about pitch accent. 
um, specifically because the book didn't mention enough. It just mentioned enough to tell you what the pitch accent of a given audio that they had uh, for the book was. But it didn't tell you the rules or any explanation of why things changed. Uh, it just gave you a basic overview um, and then maybe some indication of uh, what happens between different grammar points. Like if it's um, if you end a verb in must, then it's like, you know, the accents on the ma part. Um, but it didn't give much explanation beyond that. So it was kind of hard to pick up those extra details, um, which is why I became so invested in it. Uh, so did you use the textbook in isolation or were you also listening to other native media or reading native media? Or I'm wondering how uh, the immersion component was worked in or came to be in your learning. Uh, yeah. So, and forgive me since it's like four years ago or four right. more years ago, but um, I did do immersion on the side as well as the book um but it was it wasn't very connected with um with reading from the book it was more of just um like passive immersion if you will uh youtube videos anime things like that um yeah it wasn't much okay. i didn't actively try bridging anything from the textbook that much other than just investing time in the textbook. So when okay. you were listening to your immersion material, you weren't like actively looking for pitch patterns or anything. You were just listening to it normally and, and doing most of your pitch training like via the textbook, or did you look for patterns while you were immersing? Uh, I think that, so um, I did occasionally, but it wasn't like a common thing. And I think that... Um, that especially comes out when I, uh, so I actually did do some talking to some output as well, too. And I think that was more of the case where I would try to use what I learned from the textbook. Um, at the time, I think I used a couple Discord servers like EJLX. And uh, basically, at that time, that was when I was, um, there's a... I forget what the hypothesis is, the monitor hypothesis, where you basically monitor yourself and you basically try to fix your output mistakes. Um, so th that's actually what I was doing a lot for when I output at the time. Okay, so I'm wondering um, how that influenced your uh, pitch perception or uh, perception of the language in general and being able to uh, monitor your own output and uh, give yourself your own feedback, or if you had um, a native or a tutor or something? Uh, yeah, so I think that it helped in, and it's mostly, I think, a mindset that when I was outputting, I whenever I came across a word that I didn't know the pitch accent for, I would immediately like question myself and um, look it up, look up the pitch immediately. Um, over time, I realized that that was kind of a bad thing to do uh, when it comes to flu uh, fluidity and trying to like speak smoothly because I would, you know, question myself and I would lower my confidence. But um, eventually it got to a point where I was able to flick it on and off. So if I wanted to pay more attention to my pitch while I spoke, then I would pay more attention. And if I just wanted to speak for the sake of it, then I just speak. 
So, so if you were, how did you, how did you get into immersion learning then, Ketchy? If you kind of came in with this sort of traditional background, but very unique, right? You found Rocket Languages, um, which is sort of like you mentioned, like a podcast type thing. It reminds me of Pimsleur, sort of. If Pimsleur were like a website, um, and then you did JSL in school. How did like you said you didn't really immerse much? So how did you become this sort of mainstay in the immersion learning community if for the first however long you were not an immersion learner i think it has to do with the focus on pronunciation pitch accent um so i was in the original mia server and there was a pitch accent channel there as well too um and i think uh the point of the community might have been to focus on immersion, but I think another part of it was to focus on different methods and um, definitely sharing uh, tips on pronunciation. Um, so I think that was one of the thing reasons that I, I stuck to the community a lot. Um, not that I'm like against immersion or saying that I didn't use immersion at all, uh, just that it played a smaller factor, I'd say. Or it wasn't it wasn't as gung ho I wasn't as gung ho on pit um on immersion. It was more of a laid back type feeling whenever I wanted to immerse type thing. And it eventually ended up being something that I would do because, you know, consumption of media is enjoyable. All right. So basically you just like the community. Um you were, you know, into the pitch acts and discussing methods and then I think you're right. All roads do lead to immersion end of the day when you get to the point where you can kind of just have fun in the language um but that's very interesting to me now being this sort of uh unofficial pitch accent guy uh of the immersion learning community um what's your experience with non-standard pitch so i'm assuming most of your data set gives the quote-unquote official pitch how like how much does that vary from like the reality of listening to spoken Japanese? Mm. Uh, definitely varies if you look at the uh, the youth the youth population. Um, so there there's like tendencies within the Japanese language. Um, for example, one tendency is to pronounce everything flat um, or heiban. And so you you might see some words that are accented in the dictionary but some people pronounce it flat or, or words that have two different pronunciations to them and the flat pronunciation takes on a different meaning and it's more used among younger population. Um, so, and like just regional differences. Um, there are some regions that uh, are close to standard, but they're, they have like, there are notable things in their um, dialect that are a, little, a bit off. Um, and and sometimes those influence the standard dialect uh, a bit. So eventually there there are um, those feedback into pitch accent dictionaries, but to what extent and to how fast that feedback into those dictionaries varies depending on the dictionary. Um, if you look at a dictionary like Daijiseng, then it's very modern, I'd say in terms of um, current Japanese, but if you look at a more traditional dictionary, then it might not uh, reflect how people are pronouncing things nowadays. It would reflect uh, the older population or, or what announcers would deem is the more correct, traditionally speaking, uh, variant of an accent. 
That's, that sounds similar to what's going on with like Mandarin Chinese, where um, officially um, a, a bisyllabic word will have two tones, but a lot of mainlanders um, tend to pronounce the second tone with no tone, aka neutral tone, mm -hmm. aka fifth tone, which sounds to me a lot like the tendency for like words in Japanese to end up being flat or heiban. And yeah. just like Japanese, dictionaries and the official standards are slow to update to reflect this. Um, but they are. They they do occasionally update and, and reflect it. That's really cool. I had no clue that this sort of, I don't know, um, there's a word called like iotization, because at one point Greek turned all of its vowels into iota, like an E sound, E, E, E. And it sounds to me like mm -hmm. Japanese is kind of yeeting its pitch accent a little bit. Um, and things are, are changing. And it will it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens, because as we know, uh, Korean uh, used to have pitch. And one or two dialects of modern Korean still have it. But Korean has basically yeeted its pitch accent. And also it used to have vowel harmony, where vowels would change depending on like, in, to match other vowels in a word. And it will, it'll be interesting to see what, what future Japanese has. Um, if it goes the way of Korean of getting rid of pitch, or if it collapses pitch and there there are fewer variations, because I've heard Matt talk about it. Pitch is not the same in dialects. Some dialects actually have more complex pitch accent patterns than the Tokyo standard. Um, yeah. So I've heard that Kansai, it's easier to go from Kansai because they have tone, like sort of pitch accent mergers where you can guess the Tokyo pitch. But unmerging those and going from, say, Tokyo to Kansai is a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and there's also the uh, pitch accentless regions as well. Right. So, I mean, so, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that forms. I definitely think there's going to be a lot of simplification. Like, if you have a pitch accent rule where something falls on a second last more or something like that, um, then it'll the rule is generally going to be more faithful instead of the amount of um, exceptions that we see today. I'm curious on your thoughts on a um, group of people who, I guess, have decided to disregard pitch accent. And um, I'm wondering how you feel about the difference between someone who has decided to just disregard pitch accent as a learner versus those pitch accent lists, uh, dialects or regions and how um, the pitches are evolving naturally with younger people who are making things heibon. And it's like, I guess, how you feel about the differences and how that compares to people who just say, oh, pitch accent doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah, so uh, with those regions that have um, pitch accentless Japanese, it's not necessarily that they're able to pronounce things however they want to. There's still a way that they pronounce things. Um, so it's, you know, it's one system. Um, it's basically just that, you know, with pitch accent, you have words are somewhat distinguished by their pitch accent. Um, but in those dialects, it's more like words aren't distinguished by their pitch accent, but we might say the whole sentence with a given intonation pattern. So it's it's not necessarily that you're able to say whatever you want to. Um, 
And I think that overall, though, pitch accent is just another, uh, another area of pronunciation that we look at. And Uday, Uday actually has a video on pitch accent, um, on why, uh, if pitch accent will matter for you. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily, I, I don't think it's like a requirement, though, to learn Japanese. But it is something that you can improve on for the sake of pronunciation, for the sake of sounding more, um, for the sake of being easier to pick up when, when a Japanese person is listening to you. Um, it's still possible, 100% possible for them to uh, understand what you're saying, though, without pitch accent, but it is helpful to an extent. Yeah, so what would you say um, is the most efficient way to improve pitch accent perception? Like, because some people, they always claim they can't hear it. Um, so in, in your experience how did you get to where you could hear pitch accents i can imagine you can tell when something is standard when something is standard ish and you can probably even tell something really deviant like when somebody is from like a totally flip-flop pitch accent region and they say things really strange i'm sure it sticks out to you today but think back to four or five six years ago i'm sure it didn't stick out did you do anything special to like get to that point where you could pinpoint okay this speaker is from kansai or the speaker is from so on and so forth? Uh, for that specifically, I don't think I did anything special in order to distinguish that, other than knowing standard dialect. Um, eventually, I came across some YouTubers, I think most notably, Jari um, Jari Tawa. Uh, they're two uh, Manzai comedians, and they're you know unmistakably from Kansai, uh, so I think I just matched Kansai with, you know, whatever they say. And I eventually learned that that was like Kansai. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if you're learning pitch accent, then you will just see so many inconsistencies with the way that a person speaks when they speak with a, uh, in Kansai Ben, that it'll just like stick out to you. And, and that might not be initial, something that you come across initially, Especially since um, if you listen to somebody that's young, they might mix Kansai with standard dialect. Um, so, yeah, and, and even people who speak standard dialect, when you know they're originally Kansai Ben and they speak standard dialect, uh, sometimes they pronounce words with the wrong pitch accent, and so that gives them away, kind of. All right. So... With pitch accent, you did a lot of study, a, like explicit study of pitch. Did you do any sort of other study for pronunciation? Did you learn the IPA or or was it just going into the JSL book and like kind of like taking it really seriously based on what they taught pronunciation as? Yeah. So initially I did do a lot of, um, so the, the pronunciation at the front of JSL, it goes over the, the ways, it, the way uh, when it introduces consonants, it tries to compare them to English consonants and then tell them, uh, tell the reader how it's different from English. So I looked a lot at that and tried to use that to help pronunciation. Eventually I did run through IPA uh, as a part of one of my um, linguistics courses that I was taking. And so I picked Japanese as my language and basically looked at the differences between uh, English IPA and Japanese IPA. And I actually think that is really beneficial for any uh, 
the beginners of any language when you're looking at studying a language to like be able to compare the IPA symbols that your L1 language or your native language uses to the L2 language that you're studying. And, you know, being able to say, okay, my language uses this sound, but the other language uses this sound. So, you know, it helps to basically point you in the right direction of what to look out for when you're pronouncing those words in your L2 language. Right, because there are a couple of sounds that Japanese has that are very similar to English, but not quite the same. Like, um, they have, like, alveolar palatal sounds for, like, in their j and sh sound. They're not the same as ours. Yeah. Or, um, I personally tend to hear velar nasal, like, ah, for the syllabic in uh, sound that they have, like, at the end, mm -hmm. at the end of a, of a word. Like, a sang, to me, sounds a lot like sang with a, a, an ng sound, but it's not, it's different. And um, are, do you have any specific books that you would recommend for people who do want to do a deep dive into pronunciation? Or it doesn't have to be books, sources. It could be United States channel. Um, do you have any recommendations for people who do want to do a pronunciation deep dive with Japanese? Yeah, so I've heard sounds of Japanese uh, has good ratings. Um, I haven't used it personally, but personally, but I have looked at the uh, initial pages and I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely a good book. Um, and then uh, another book that I know is called uh, Nihongo no Hatsun Kyoshitsu, um, so Japanese Pronunciation Classroom. Um, and that basically, it goes over pitch accent and pronunciation and also intonation as well too. So if you want to know, um, you know, it goes over the minuscule details of intonation for a word, for example. If you, if you pronounce things, um, you could take the same sentence with the same ending intonation and vary the way that you adjust the uh, the pitch between pitch accent phrases, and that somehow emphasizes one pitch accent phrase over the other pitch accent phrase. So it teaches a lot of details like that and includes a CD as well, too, um, that has audio that tries to demonstrate that as well too. So when it comes to, so all this, so this Japanese classroom you mentioned, is it for JSL speakers, Japanese second language speakers, or is it for native Japanese people? I'm kind of curious if like, do people who speak a non-standard variety of Japanese, where do they go to learn the standard variety if they want to be like a broadcaster, right? If they want to have like their news reporter voice. Oh, so the book Nihongo no Hatsun Kyoshitsu, or Japanese classroom, uh, Japanese pronunciation classroom, is um, I, I believe the initial page says it's advertised for uh, foreign learners, but also for um, people who are learning standard dialects and newscasters and people like that as well too. So I think it's a pretty broad array of people that they want to support. Um, but for people who are learning standard dialect i think that they would tend to use like books like that or or online resources um i think that it's pretty common in japanese in japan to at least have some idea of what standard dialect sounds like given that it's on all almost all media um so it's more about uh practice than it is learning the 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 rules. I think people who learn the rules would tend to be more those people in TV roles or something, or like um, like professionals. So one thing that 
we tend to see like cross linguistically is that varieties that are close to the standard but not standard tend to be the last ones to die. And, and what I mean by that is uh, in Northern Germany, there used to be like a whole other language spoken called, you know, Low German. Um, but because it wasn't mutually intelligible with standard High German, it just got replaced wholesale. And now it's basically a moribund variety. It's just not spoken. Um, you see it with like English. You know, if somebody speaks a variety that's close enough to the standard, but not, uh, they're less likely to change than if somebody is from the middle of nowhere, like Appalachia or Scotland, where people just don't understand them. Those people are more likely to have to like go out and learn, like essentially to be bi-dialectal. Are there varieties of Japanese that you would say would fit into that mold that are kind of standard, but not? I would say that there are a lot to the point of like, there's no such thing as standard. I mean, um, there, there's the standard dialect, but Tokyo dialect isn't standard dialect. It's like Tokyo dialect is what people say is like the closest thing to standard dialect, but not standard dialect and, and the surrounding areas around Tokyo and expanding from Tokyo, all of those regions have a somewhat standard dialect, but it's not standard dialect. Um, and pitch accent is one of those reasons. And, and another reason is um, the, the word choice, the word usage as well, too, um, is not, like, standard. Uh, and so, like, in certain regions, you have, like, you know, they have be, they add, like, be at the end of sentences. Um, but that's not, you know, since that's not standard, that's... But people still understand it, though, so... Um, if anything, I think that it becomes a trope of that region, um, but not necessarily something that I see dying out soon. Uh, but I wouldn't trust my word on it since I'm not and, focused and, on that part of it. Right, and that's sort of just like the ones that are close enough to being standard. How about the more divergent varieties? You know, like uh, people from like right before you get to Hokkaido, right, where you've got like Aomori Peninsula, those people are notoriously difficult to understand. Um, would you imagine that those varieties, those speakers of those varieties are more likely to try to adopt the standard? I think that if people are in the region and they stay within the region and um, they, so it, it just depends on their needs. If they need to use standard, then they have a need to use standard. But if they're within that region and um there is and there isn't necessarily a reason for them to know standard then there wouldn't be a point in them learning standard uh but i do think that it's one of those dialects that you won't see you know taking over the internet or something um but hopefully we can preserve it somehow though um but yeah so do you have any like future plans for uh codester.io to like support like looking up a word so like right now i'm assuming the way it works if you look up a word it gives you just the standard pitch but you have, would it be a cool sort of like future expansion project to include the pitch and say the other big varieties that people go after like kind of kansai dialect uh yeah yeah it definitely sounds like an interesting idea um and i've heard this idea before from 
uh, I know like a couple of Japanese people that were, were also kind of interested in this idea of like Japanese people being able to contribute to a dictionary and say that they're from X region and they say this word that way. Sort of like Forvo, but um, kind of a more documented way of labeling things um, and basically being able to measure how much of a certain um, region, how a certain region sways in terms of the variance of pitch accent that they use. As far So, as other, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, you can finish. Oh, you're good. As far as like other features, though, I, um, I'd say there's not much other than minor improvements to the pitch accent um, engine. Kotsu does parsing as well, too. And improving parsings uh, just, I think, uh, would help a, a larger problem that there is uh, when it comes to pitch accent. Of, for example, if you have like um, external decks that use pitch accent, they might not always pick the right pitch accent when you have a sentence that you want to label with pitch accent. So having a parser really helps to uh, figure out sentence pitch. Yeah. So that kind of leads me into a question that I wanted to ask is um, how you feel about the current state of the Colta.io website and uh, like the current tools that it has and um, if you have plans to um, expand on it or do anything else with it um, or go beyond just Japanese with it or possibly make it into a mobile app. or something uh i'm just curious Uh, yeah, I think that, um, so personally, I'm not going to be doing that much, um, like hands-on, but I think that I know a lot of people that would like to add, um, like work on mobile apps or work on, um, adding more features to Koltu. And so there is interest in adding such features. Um, but personally, I'm not going to be doing that much. So, But um, I, I like the way that it's like Colts is, is currently structured to expand like tests currently um, a lot easier. So uh, there could be another couple tests that pop up that make it easier for, uh, for learners to focus on certain topics of pitch accent. so you're not the only one working on the site. Like, um, I was under the impression that it was just you who was maintaining and adding things to the site. So is it more uh, collaborative with other people? It's basically a 99% me. <laughs> Okay. um, it's, it's collaborative in the way that I, I want to push other people <laughs> to work, other developers to work on it as well, too. gotcha. Because uh, I would love to be able to download uh, a Koltu like uh, mo mobile app and look up pronunciation on things quickly like Forvo and uh, hear the pitch accent for things. Kind of like uh, how we have the pitch accent bot in the Japanese uh, server, but have it embedded in a mobile app. Yeah, I'm I'm also like open to uh having the API open so that other apps can use um Colts's endpoints and sort of like rake information from there. Um specifically when it comes to like the parser because uh, I part of me like envisions that like it would be a really neat idea if everyone sort of like contributed to a single parser. And it got decent, really good to the point where you could just use that as the de facto and it would be able to 
reliably give you the pitch accent of a sentence. Um, but yeah, I'm also looking forward to expanding the um, like availability of APIs for audio for words, or um, I think there's also an API to uh, get the uh, uh, text-to-speech audio for a sentence using uh, Cultus Parser. So yeah, I'm I'm personally not the biggest fan of text to text-to-speech. Uh, the robot voices uh, kind of get on my nerves, so <laughs> it'd be great to have uh, some native pronunciation of things. Um, I'm, I mean, of course, if you generate pitch accent on the fly and have a robot voice read it out, um, not much you can really do about that. But um, it would actually be really cool. It'd be better than you know waiting for someone else to to record and and for you to hear them say it, like having something quickly. Um, yeah. It's not the best option, but uh, it's at least it it serves a purpose, but probably not the purpose for most learners, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering, uh, since you have this tool now, um, if it's something that, I mean, I guess the inspiration behind it was you made it because it's something you wish you had when you were learning Japanese. So I'm wondering, like if that's true and how you would have used the tool personally in your own learning? Um, so it, the tools weren't necessarily something that I wish I had um, more, more just like something that I like thought was kind of interesting. So sort of expanded on. However, I did use something that was similar to the minimal pairs test. Um, there was like a quiz on memorize on memorize site that I used that, helped me distinguish pitch a little. Um, I used it a little bit, and I think that, you know, that might have served as an initial um, inspiration for minimal pairs, but I, I doubt I, I recalled that site when I was actually making Koltsu. Um and, and there are some interesting ideas that I wanted to explore with Koltsu. For example, there's... um. A conversation section that basically it tries to uh, implement what JSL does with conversations and uh, memorization, and uh, so I, I plan on adding more a lot to that. Um, and I think that would, if if I wanted to allow others to sort of experience how I would how, how I learned Japanese, then that would definitely be one feature that I would work more on. Okay. Um, do you have plans for other projects or other tools uh, separate from uh, Koltu? Um, so currently, I don't have ones that are separate from Koltu. However, there's one that is very... So there's a feature that's kind of interesting about Koltu that can be expanded to a whole separate tool, I think. And, and that's the... Um, there's a test for Koltu that works on production. Um, specifically, basically taking an input and being able to say, okay, this this word's pronounced atamadaka versus odaka or um, something like that um, is something that was working on. And uh, I think it could be expanded a lot more to dissect a sentence into its individual parts and label pitch accent. So something working on something like that would be pretty cool but i think it would be more it wouldn't be something that i directly advertise towards learners it'd be more of something that's like a 
a lower level project. So gotcha. I, I have a question. Uh, a lot of people seem to f like hyper focus on the pitch accent side of Coaster.io. Um, if you were in their shoes, basically as the dev, how would you like to see people using Coaster.io? Right? They, it sounds to me like a lot of people don't utilize a lot of the features of it. Um, so, what would you like to see people do with the site that they're not currently doing? Um. Hmm. Um. I think that on Colts currently, um, there are features that don't necessarily advertise themselves as features. Like, for example, uh, transcription is a method that I've looked at too before. Um, sort of like. The, the idea is picturing what you think you're hearing is being said and being able to like write that down and see how accurate your transcription skills are. Um, so there's the transcribe section of Koltsu that allows you to input a YouTube video and sort of like um, make a transcription uh, along with timestamps for that YouTube video, which doesn't advertise itself as like, um, as uh, it doesn't advertise itself as a feature that's trying to help you with transcription, but it mainly just serves as a tool. Um, and I think that's like the majority of Colts is a bunch of tools that uh, you basically decide whether you want to use them for the purpose of learning. Um, let me think. So I mean, you... there's the Anki tools, the lists. Uh, you could make lists of words. Like, I think that it, it's mainly just meant as a a hodgepodge of different like tools that you could perhaps use for your language learning. So what all tools does it have? It has pitch accent. It's got uh, some sort of Anki clone. It's got a transcribe thing where you can transcribe things. Um, and I've seen that before. Tagalog.com also has a free transcription tool um, where it'll play you a clip and then you type in the clip and you either get it wrong or you get it right. Um, and it's quite popular. And I know that uh, Cole, who has done some stuff with Refill before, he's the Canto guy. He runs the Canto server. Um, he is a firm believer in uh, transcribing things. You know, he's transcribed multiple anime series in Cantonese. <laughs> Uh, and he has a native check it to make sure that it's right. And he's a very big proponent of transcription. So I think that's really cool. And more people should be using it, probably. They probably don't know about it when they think Kotsu.io. They probably think, like I think, it's the pitch accent site. It's the site you go for strictly pitch accent, but there's a lot of other cool stuff. So Anki clone, word lists, pitch accent, um, transcription. The is there a uh, media also... section? So media section is basically like um, you can have like a YouTube player and you input a YouTube video and it like adds pitch accent to the subtitles below using Colts' built-in parser. Um, and it also lets you, uh, so like the Anki section, it ties into the Anki section. And there's a, there's a lot of different um, ways you could format your Anki cards to, uh, they're basically like these, I call them plugins, even though you can't currently like add any plugins, but essentially you can um, type in raw pitch accent into your card and have it appear with like better visuals than using, you know, backslashes or things like that. Um, By better visuals, you mean to... the, the way that you the actually lines. transcribe? 
So like right, visually, cause... it adds like lines on top of things to show that it uh, okay. rises or falls. So I know that Vanessa is guilty of not liking the way that uh, sometimes pitch is transcribed in like an ASCII manner, where like um, uh, it's like underscores and uh, forward slash and backslash type of stuff. Um, and I think that can be a turnoff for some people who don't find it very intuitive. So I think adding lines is a great step. Yeah. Also colors too, if you pick the um like the pattern mode. So you could choose to have colors highlighted instead of um lines drawn. So like blue for Heibon, red for Tamadaka. Um that that's also an option. Yeah, and, and I'm the... uh I'm personally yeah. used to the uh the arrow transcribing where it's like arrows that are drawn that go up and down uh like in the pitch accent dictionary for yomi-chan mm. you, have you seen are those you before about the, are you talking about the directly like they go directly up and directly down those arrows um yeah it's like a continuous arrow i guess that has like a little dot and then the arrow at the end like if it goes up the arrow goes up and then it shows where the drop is or if it goes up again, or something like that. I want to say I think I've seen them before. Yeah, how do you feel about those? Like, how do you feel about the different ways to um, to uh, convey pitch accent? Oh yeah, these ones. Um, I think that like, um, so I think whatever method kind of works for you is like you know like whatever floats your boat. Um, I like the ones that sort of put both of them together so like they uh any symbols that it uses it sort of overlays that on top of the word instead of having them as two different things so you don't like look between them um but oh, also gotcha. i'm a fan of like i'm a fan of numbers too though um yeah the the numbers mean nothing to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's helpful when you learn about patterns because um then pitch accent becomes really easy uh for example like you know, you might think of a verb pattern and it's the pitch accent always lands on the negative three mora. So knowing about negative three and being able to like recognize that number is like, yeah. It sounds like I have to study pitch accent some more. Um, I know that whenever uh, George shares uh, some uh, Chinese words with me and he like transcribes the, the tone with the number, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> Imagine being someone who's learning Spanish. <laughs> this whole thing is fascinating. I haven't talked very much about anything, but the stuff you'll have to do to train your ears to listen for pitches that you're not used to hearing in English is, one, impressive, and two, something that I never really thought of before interacting with people learning Japanese because I'm learning Spanish. So it's been really interesting hearing everything. Um, <clears throat> Keji, for you, what do you think was like your biggest challenge um, learning pitch? So we know about your your methods, like how you learned it, but what was something that was the most challenging thing for you learning pitch and how did you overcome that? Mm, trying to remember a time where I was like really struggling with pitch. Um, a low, no, low key flexing over here. 
<laughs> no, I, I think most of the time that I was struggling with pitch, it was, um, I translated that into like working on pitch more, which, um, to me was like, I, I guess, for example, like last names, first names, last names in Japanese, um, those tend to follow a pattern. And so for me, struggling for pitch was basically trying to decipher what that pattern meant. And in some, like, um, in some meaning of the word that was struggling, but in other meanings of the word, I, I was enjoying it somewhat. Um, but when I was actually struggling with pitch, um, probably whenever I forget pitch or, yeah. or when I'm like speaking, like currently, is probably the, yeah. or in the past, or, is, it a, um, is it a current in problem? The past. It's not as much a current problem. It's a current problem when I haven't like I haven't used the word in a long time, and I'm like, what's the pitch of that word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, sometimes sometimes there are methods to get past uh, not knowing the pitch accent of a word. Um, Mandarin example, learners do this all the time. They just talk really fast and mumble. They hope that no yeah, one that's one way. like no one notices. I do that in Spanish, but for conjugations, don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people have, um, they like, in Japanese, you could add, like, uh, gudai to a word. So if you have, like, a, a quantity or any type of, of amount, or, um, so, like, any of the, um, uh, josushi or, like, or, like, uh, counters, um, you could just add gudai to them, and you don't have to worry about the pitch accent of the counter, because it's just, uh, because good eye basically uh, becomes the dominant accent and shifts the whole accent to the good part. So I, I know people who've said that they do that. All right, so I'm hashtag just, just add notes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just add good eye. Hey, that's Never. a great hack. Uh, yeah. I've, I've heard of German and Dutch learners using everything in the diminutive to not have to remember the gender because unlike Spanish, uh, the German and Dutch diminutive makes everything take the neuter. So you can avoid uh, knowing the actual gender of a word. Again, not quite the same as uh, a pitch accent hack, but it seems like every language has these little hacks to like kind of skirt knowing the uh, the actual way to do something. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I think that sums up this episode. This was really fun for me to listen to. I got to learn an awful lot about pitch accent, which is something that I'm not super familiar with. So, Keji, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed being a fly on the wall of this conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. And that wraps up this episode of the Refold Roundtable podcast. If you're tuning in for the live premiere, please make sure to join us for the after party immediately after the podcast and the Refold Discord. If you love this episode and want to hear more, you can listen to past episodes on YouTube and Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to give us a like and leave a comment to let us know. If you'd like to suggest a comment for a future episode, we would love to hear from you. Please suggest future topics in the Refold Discord. And the links to our Discord and everything you need to find is in the description uh, beneath this video. So thank you everyone for joining and we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Refold Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and maybe even learned something new. Projects, events, and content like this podcast are only possible thanks to our generous patrons. If you liked this and want to see more similar projects, 
please consider supporting us on Patreon. Visit community.refold.la slash Patreon-benefits to learn more.